Now, I want to give you a little heads up about today. If, if you got the update and you saw the text we were covering and you read it and it didn't make any sense to you, welcome to the club. This is one of those passages uh, that is, is, is kind of difficult for us as being this far removed from the original writing of the, of the scriptures, being this far removed from the, the, the culture that this sermon, because remember Hebrews is a sermon was preached to, uh, but my job today is to try and connect it and apply it for us, and so let's, let's do this and kind of see how it goes, shall we? Um, we've been talking in our series on Hebrews, we've been calling it greater than, that Jesus is greater than, and that's what this symbol is up here, is this greater than symbol, because we've been seeing how Jesus is greater than all of our ups and downs in life. He's greater than all of our successes. He's greater than all of our failures. He's greater than all of our doubts, and he's greater than all of our fears. And as we've talked in particular about fear and that Jesus is greater than our fears, we've seen that the opposite of that is faith. And that's, what, that's when, we, when we realize that Jesus is greater than those fears, we walk in faith and we walk with him. Now, what, here's what's interesting about fear, though. Fear is one of those uh, feelings. It's one of those emotions that isn't bound by time. And here's what I mean by that. Fear can stretch from our past into our present and all the way into our future. It is all over our calendars, right? And when fear does this, when fear digs its roots into different places, like in the past, when fear digs its roots into our past, here's what it feels like. It feels like regret, right? When fear is in our past, it feels like regret. When we look at the decisions that we've made, when we look at the words that we've spoken, we've spoken when we look at the actions that we've taken, and we look back on those and we think, gosh, I, I should have done that differently. I should have said that differently. So it really expressed what was going on in my head and going on in my heart, and I didn't. I got caught up in emotion, or, or, or the decision that I made wasn't the best decision. We look back on that and we feel regret. That's what fear looks like when it's in our past. But fear doesn't just live in our past, it also lives in our future. And when, when fear lives in our future, it feels different. It feels like worry, right? Because when fear lives in the future, it feels like worry. We, we look ahead to what's coming. And maybe there are decisions that we have to make and we, we know we don't have what it takes to make that decision. We don't know what to do, and so we worry. Maybe there's a deadline looming, and it's an important deadline, and you feel inadequate to meet the deadline. Or maybe, maybe there's an opportunity on the horizon, and it seems like a great opportunity, but you feel ill-equipped to meet it, and so you worry. That's what it feels like when fear is, is, is rooted in our future. And fear is this sneaky beast that doesn't just live in our past and live in our future. It lives in our today as well. And when it's in our today, it feels like stress. Where we can't meet the need that's right in front of us. And so we stress. We don't, we're, we're not in regret. We're not in worry. We stress. Now, as you look at those words, regret and worry and stress, does, do any of them feel familiar? Do, do any of you struggle with regret as you look back? 
in your past? Do you struggle with worry as you look ahead to the future? And by the way, the future could be like this afternoon. It could be like when you leave this building. Is worry there? When you're, when you're looking at what's right in front of you, is stress there? Or gosh, anybody got all three going on? Right, well, here's what I hope today's message does. I hope today's message brings you some relief. Because what we're gonna see is that worry and stress and regret, that there is a better way. And that better way is this. When we understand and know and believe that Jesus is greater than our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because if he's greater than our yesterday, he's greater than our fear and regret. If he's greater than our today, then he's greater than our stress. And if he's greater than tomorrow, he's greater than any worry that we have. And so Jesus is greater than our fear of yesterday, our fear of today, and our fear of tomorrow. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me, or turn them on, Um, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 18 through 29. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, and in that Bible, it's on page 848, or you can also, as Scout said, you can download the Bible app, and we're in there. If you click under events and click under Fellowship Asheville, the announcements are there, the the scriptures are there, there's places that you can take notes, there's even questions to consider uh, throughout your week as the sermon kind of bubbles up in your mind, and so, so you can do that. And in today's message, what we're going to see is we're going to see this past, present, and future, right? We're going to see this this preacher talk about the the nation of Israel's past, and he's going to talk about a choice that they made, and then he's going to invite them to make that choice become not just from the past, but become part of their present, and then he's going to take them and show the implications of the future based on that decision. And so you're going to see the past, you're going to see the present, and you're going to see the future. And in all of those, <coughs> you're going to see when fear is there, there is regret, and there is worry, and there is, is stress. But What this preacher is going to do in this last verse of the section we're looking at today, don't skip ahead, in this last verse that we're looking at today, he's going to show us a better way than regret and stress and worry. And that's the part that I think is going to bring some relief if you nodded your head, whether it was in your own mind or with your body, whether you nodded your head, if you've got one or all three of these going on in your soul. Let's look at verse 18. And let's start there. It says, for you have not come. So this is the preacher talking to this Hebrew congregation. Remember, he's talking to a congregation. He's preaching to a congregation of people that have said yes to Jesus. They're believers in Christ, but they grew up in Jewish homes. And so for a lot of the stuff that he talks about, it's hard for us to understand because we didn't grow up in Jewish homes, right? And whenever I talk about the Old Testament, I have to paint the picture of it to remind us all what, what, what it means and what happened. He's not going to do that for them because he makes a mention of something and they get it. The words that he's going to use to describe to us sound more like Mordor and Rivendell than it does the places that he's describing, right? Because we understand Lord of the Rings. Part of my job is to kind of paint this picture of what he's talking about. And so he's going to show them what they didn't choose. Now, this will make sense to them, but it's going to need some explanation. So he says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest 
and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given them. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? All right, and if you heard that, we'd I'd preach it, say amen, we'd be done, go have lunch, it'd be great. No, see, here's, here's what, what's happening. In this Hebrew congregation, they understand what he's talking about. This, this preacher is describing a mountain. To us, like I said, it sounds like Mordor. It sounds like you should see Sauron's eye floating above it in flames, like staring down at you. Because listen to this language, this mountain that he described, it can't be touched. And noise was so loud that people begged for silence. There was darkness and gloom and fire and fear. And, and, and that fear was so strong, even Moses, who is considered a hero to this Hebrew congregation, Moses said, I tremble with fear at this place. That's the type of place that this preacher is describing. And the, and the place that he's describing is a mountain. And he's using this mountain to also describe a system of belief because it's often used as a, as a way of teaching the scripture that you take something physical and you describe the spiritual that's behind it. And that's what he's doing is he's taking this mountain and it's called Mount Sinai is this mountain. And this mountain was the place where, the, where, where Moses met God, where the people met God. It was the place where God revealed himself. And the interesting language that's used here, the fire and the doom and the, and the fear that's there is because what this Hebrew preacher is doing is he's pointing to a time in the nation of Israel's history where fear was the predominant emotion that was experienced in the relationship with God. Right, Because there was a separation between God and a separation between humanity based on what Adam and Eve had done. Because if you remember in the garden, there was this perfect place where Adam and Eve were with God. And what made it perfect was not the vegetation that was there, was not the temperature of the place. What made it perfect was the fact that they had an open, vulnerable, honest relationship with God where he would show up and they would walk together in the garden every day. That's what made it perfect. And in the midst of that relationship, God told them, you can have any fruit of the garden that you want except this one tree. And we know the story. That's the one tree they wanted. And they ate of that fruit and they disobeyed God and they broke that relationship. And when they did that, something happened. Sin entered the garden and it separated humanity from God. And so what we see is where sin rules, God separates. The time that this preacher is pointing to is a time where sin ruled because the people were separated from God. When they approached God at the mountain, it was do not touch. If your animal touches this mountain, we have to kill the animal. Your hero Moses is afraid when he's on this mountain. Even in the temple, when they came to worship, God was separated from them because God was in this one room in the very middle of the temple that was, that was, that was walled off on three sides and then had this curtain on the other side that separated the people from God. And tradition says that, that when the high priest would enter, because only one person could enter that place once a year. And tradition says that when he would enter, there was such a fear that if he did something wrong, 
that God would kill him on the spot. Now, that'll bring some fear, won't it? But the tradition says that because they believed this, there was so much fear based in their relationship with God that they would do two things to that high priest. One, they would tie a bell to the bottom of his robe so that as long as they heard the bell moving, they knew that he was moving. And if the bell got quiet for too long, the other thing that they would do is they would tie a rope to his ankle. And so that if he died doing what he was supposed to do in there, if he did it wrong, if he touched the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, and that fear of that relationship, if he dropped dead, they could pull him out of the room without having to step in. That's what these Hebrew, this Hebrew congregation understood as the relationship with God. That's Mount Sinai. That's in the past. And where sin separates, not only does, does, where sin rules, not only does God separate, but where sin separates, where sin is the reason for that separation, fear lives. That relationship with God had fear all over it. But this isn't the mountain that this Hebrew congregation had chosen. There was another mountain. So now this preacher is going to talk about a different place. And if, and if Mount Sinai was Mordor, what he's going to describe now is where the elves live. And it's Rivendell. And it is beautiful and light and airy. And look, listen to this in verse 22. It says, but you have come. So now he's moving from the past. You have not come. You have come now to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteousness of the righteous made perfect. And so doesn't this sound like a better place? You've got Mount Sinai with gloom and doom and fear, and then you've got Mount Zion where there's literally a party going on, right? This city has life. It has a living God, it has angels, it has this feast going on, which is a, a biblical word for a party. And the church is going on there, the church is happening. And so what choice was made to allow these Hebrew, this Hebrew congregation to move from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, from this mountain of doom and gloom to this party mountain? Well, look at this in verse 24. It says, and you have come, and so you've come to Mount Zion, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, this choice that was made wasn't about preferred real estate, right? We've got some incredible realtors here in this congregation. They can't buy you property on Mount Zion. Right? They can't get you from one mountain to the other. That's not the choice that was made. The choice that was made was, the, was based on one person, and his name is Jesus. He's the one that instituted this new covenant. He's the one that instituted this new way to connect with God. And really, it wasn't a new way. All he did is broke down the barrier that we put up. He broke down the barrier of sin that separated God from man. And that's what this, this preacher is saying. He is saying there is one path between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and that path is Jesus. There is no other path. Jesus did away with that dividing wall. He removed the penalty of sin. His death and resurrection paid the price and paid the debt that Adam and Eve incurred and that we have been contributing to as humanity ever since. 
And when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, that opened up a new way to connect with God, a new way that was the old way. And so where sin separates and where sin is, fear, fear thrives. Where sin separates, Jesus is the only one who can unite, is what this preacher is saying. And where sin is powerless because of what Jesus has done, there is no separation between God and humanity. The choice they made is the choice that he's going to ask of this Hebrew congregation. It's the same choice that I ask of you. Look at verse 25. It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And so now we move from the past to the present. And he's saying this offer of Jesus, that he's the only way from one mountain to the next, from from Mordor to Rivendell, from this mountain of doom and gloom to this, this party in heaven, like Jesus is the only way. This offer wasn't just on the day that he died and the day that he was resurrected, this offer is still good today is what this preacher is telling this ancient congregation, but it's also good for us that this offer is still good today and to not refuse this gospel because that's what gospel means. Gospel means good news and this is good news. Now keep in mind, this, this preacher is preaching to a group of people who have already said yes to Jesus, but, but he understands, just like I do, every time when I get up here and preach, I understand the same thing that he understood. In his church, there were people that had the same drug problem that you have. And what I mean by that is somebody drug you here. Right? That's the same problem they had. There were people that grew up in a Jewish home sitting in that congregation that only came because somebody invited them to come and hear about this guy named Jesus. And some of you are sitting here today because somebody said, you need to come to this church and meet my friends and experience what I do every Sunday and meet this guy named Jesus. This offer is for you. This offer to to come to Jesus as the only way to have a good and right and personal relationship with Jesus, with God, is for you. Now, it's not just for you either. It's also for all of us. Because it's available for those who have already said yes to. We, too, need the same gospel. If you're new to fellowship, you're gonna probably get tired of hearing this, but I say it all the time. The gospel that saves you is the gospel that sustains you. That gospel that's offered is the same gospel that we need today. Now, if you've already said yes to Jesus in your past, then you are saved. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you need to get saved again. I'm saying that same gospel is what you need to enjoy the relationship with God. When you became saved and you said yes to Jesus and, and, and you meant it with all of your heart and soul with as, much, uh, with as much understanding as you could grasp, What happened in that moment is you got introduced into a relationship with God based on what Jesus has done and not based on your performance anymore. And what's happened now is you need that same gospel to enjoy and nurture that relationship. Because see, look at this from another part of the Bible called Colossians. 
Colossians uh, chapter one, verses five and six. It says, of this you have heard in the word of the truth, the gospel, which is what I just shared, which has come to you. So, so, so he's talking to a church. This is Paul writing a letter to a church and he's saying the gospel has already come to you. Remember when I preached it and y'all said yes, that was the gospel that came to you. And look at this next part. As indeed, <clears throat> as indeed in the whole, war, the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also among you since the day you heard it. And he's saying, listen, the gospel you received and you heard, that same gospel is bearing fruit. Now he's in present tense. He's past tense. You received it. Present tense, you, uh, it is bearing fruit in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit in you today. It's present tense. It's not just past tense. It's present tense. And here's why we need that to enjoy this relationship with God. It saves us when we receive it, and it gives us this good and right relationship with the Lord. But for us to enjoy that relationship with God, we need that same gospel because we continually try and tear down that wall that divides us and God by our own effort, right? There's a part of our hearts that wants to earn God's favor. That's what built that wall in the first place. And we try and, and make ourselves look good enough. We, we want God to see our tithe that we're giving sacrificially. We want God to see our service and our good deeds and our turning away from sin and our doing what's right so that God will look at us and say, good job. And the reason I know that we do that is because I do that. And, and the way I know that I do that, and it's the same way that you do it, is we love to compare ourselves to the people next to us. That's how we know we're trying to earn God's good compliments. It's because we say, well, at least I'm better than my spouse at this. Or, guilty is charged, I'm obviously a better parent than that parent, particularly at the grocery store when their kids are throwing a fit. Unfortunately, the next week, guess whose kids are throwing a fit? right? And we compare, and comparison always destroys our contentment because it builds up these idols in our heart where we're trying to earn God's favor and trying to get God to look at us and say, good job. The problem is we need that gospel because no amount of effort could ever get God to say that because he is perfect. See, we can never earn our way to this statement from God because Jesus is the only one who, tear down, who tears down that wall separating us from God. As a matter of fact, this is what our effort produces. Look at verse 25. It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, meaning people in the Old Testament, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. The way God sees our effort is rejection because here's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, you've got this, this mountain, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and I have already built the bridge that connects the two. All you have to do is walk across it, and that bridge is Jesus. And when you start trying to build your own bridge, you are rejecting what I've done for you. That's what this preacher is telling this Hebrew congregation. It didn't work for them, and it doesn't work now. And when we try and make our own path, it's our rejection of his. And this path isn't just in the, 
in the past and in the present. Look too, it's also in the future. Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Amen, let's go home. Y'all clear? Right? Here's, here's what he's saying. He's, he's gone from the past, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, to the present. Jesus is our offer, and it's still good. To the future, one day, something's going to happen. And when you look to the future, there is, there is an eternal thing that is steady and sure, and then there is an earthly thing that is shaken. And this word for shaken means that it's like an earthquake. It'll shake it till whatever it is just becomes rubble on the ground. And this path that he has laid, this path of Jesus leads to a secure anchor. And he's saying if your anchor is in this world for your security, one day it'll be shaken and not be here anymore. And your security will be gone. But if your anchor is in the eternal and God's security, you won't be shaken. And this isn't just this preacher's idea. Listen to these verses. First uh, Corinthians seven thirty one. Paul says this. He says, "For this present, for the present form of this world is passing away." Peter in Second Peter says this. Second Peter three ten. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, so the sky will be gone. The stars, the sun, the moon, everything that we look up to will be gone. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. John, who wrote the book of Revelation in chapter 21, says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, there's an agreement among all the Bible. And it declares this central truth that one day all you see will not be seen anymore. Everything that you touch, everything that, that you build will be gone. All that you possess will be gone. But the things that remain are the things of God. And so here we see this past and we see this present and we see this future, we see yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when fear touches them, we have regret. We have stress when it touches today. When fear touches tomorrow, we have worry. When I start talking about everything that you have being gone, if your security is there, you start worrying. You start worrying about your retirement account and how you're gonna make it. You start worrying about the yard you just mowed. And, and maybe some of you are like, oh good, I never have to mow that thing again. But some of you are like, I put time and effort into this thing to make it look good and there's, there's worry there. But remember, what we're talking about today is that Jesus is greater than our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so in him, our yesterday, today, and tomorrow don't need regret and stress and worry. They can have something vastly different. Look at this in verse 28. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This word grateful, just like regret 
only lives in the past. You know, you can't regret decisions you haven't made yet. You can only regret decisions you have made. You can only regret things that you have done. Grateful is another word that only lives in the past. You can only be grateful for what you have been given. You can only be grateful for what God has done. And this preacher is saying when Jesus is greater than our past, when he is greater than our yesterday, we move from regret, from regret to gratitude. That's how we know that Jesus is greater than our past. And, and here's what gratitude looks like. Gratitude is seeing the goodness of God in yesterday is what it is. It's being able to look back with the decisions that you've made, with the, the actions that you've done, with the things that you've done wrong, even the sins that you've committed, and understanding that God is sovereign even over all of that. And that when Bill Bright wrote the four spiritual laws, and one of those laws was that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, he was right. That God does love you, and have a, he does have a wonderful plan for your life. And even when you look in your past, you can be grateful for what God has done. You can see the good in the yesterday. And look at the rest of verse 28. It says, and, let, and thus let us offer. So now this word offer moves us into the present. So we go from the past of gratitude to the present of offer. And when Jesus is greater than our today, our stresses of today, the fear of today becomes an offering to God. And so we can take the things that stress us out, the, the, the bad stuff. I love how Jesus doesn't ask us to ignore the bad stuff. He just asks us to bring it to him. That's what an offering is. An offering is giving the bad of today to a good God. It's why I prayed to kind of get us in the mindset that God defines what is good and he delights in us bringing the bad stuff in our life, the stuff that stresses us out, our mistakes, our, our failures, and bringing those to God because he delights in us bringing to him whatever it is that we've got. That's an offering. And the rest of verse 28, let us thus, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That word awe and reverence is what you know is the difference between fear. Moses stood before God and feared. But because of Jesus, we can stand before God in awe. And there's a big difference between fear and awe. Fear says, you're gonna hurt me. Awe says, I trust you. I don't understand you, but I trust you. Last week, when I started my message, you remember I had that glass vase up here? And I said, that glass vase, let's pretend like that's all of who God is and all of his wisdom and knowledge and, and wrath and holiness. And I said, this pitcher of water is what we know about God. And y'all tell me to stop whenever you think the water level gets to, where you, to what you know is true about God. And y'all stopped me like as I started pouring. And so for two services, there was so much water in there, nobody could see it. Right, That place between what we know to be true about God and who God is, there can be fear there or there can be awe there. And when Jesus is greater than our tomorrow, when Jesus is greater than that, we worship in awe. And when, and when Jesus is greater than our tomorrow, our worry turns to worship. 
Because when we bring him the stresses of today as an offering, it turns into worship as we look ahead to tomorrow. And worship is simply this. It's trusting the fears of tomorrow to the good plans of God. That's one way to look at worship. And so church, which would you rather live? Would you rather live in the fear of the past, of regret, the fear of the present, of stress, or the fear of the future and worry? Or would you want Jesus to be greater than your yesterday, today, and tomorrow? And it looked like this, that Jesus is greater than your past, and so there's gratitude there. Jesus is greater than your, your present, and so there's an offering. Or Jesus is greater than your future, and so there's worship. Now, I think the choice is fairly easy, but you're probably going, Fred, this sounds great, but how in the world do I do that? How do I move from, from regret to gratitude, from stress to offering, from worry to worship? And y'all, I have an answer that is so simple, but so incredibly difficult. And it's simply this. It's let Jesus be greater than your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you simply go to him in prayer. Now, I'm going to tell you a story in my life that happened last week. As I was writing this message and ruminating on these texts and, 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 and kind of contemplating this idea of Jesus being greater than and greater than my yesterdays and todays and tomorrows. And, and it happened around my son, my eldest son, getting his driver's license. Right? So if we're friends on Facebook and if we're not, find me and friend me. I'd love to be friends with you on Facebook. But I did a quick little poll on Facebook for people that live here in Asheville uh, to ask which driver's license uh, office would be the best to go to. Easiest, best, whichever word you want to use. Patton, like bottom of the list. But what won by a landslide, I think, was in Marshall, to go to the one in Marshall. So all my North Asheville peeps, yes? So, but here's, the, here's what's interesting about the place in Marshall. It's run by one person, by this woman. And, and when you get there, you know, everybody said, get there early or there's no chance of getting in. So we did, I think it opened at eight or nine, I forget when it opened, but we got there early. And so there was about six people in line ahead of us. And, and so this woman who runs the place, somehow in her life, she has found the balance between kindness and meanness and lives both of them out. Like you never know what you're gonna get from her, right? And so, so we're standing in line and I'm looking at the line going, oh, you know, I don't know about this. She opens the door. I don't know where she drove in from. I don't know how she got there. We were there early. All of a sudden the door swings open. I don't know if she lives in back some, somewhere. The door swings open and she goes, y'all at the back of the line may not make it in. That's it. People start walking in. So, so we start walking in, and she goes, there's a lot of driving tests today. If, if you're at the back of the line, you may not make it, but you're welcome to stay. So we did. And so uh, there's this little waiting room, and then there's a wall with a door to her office where she takes the pictures and makes sure you have all the forms, and if you don't, I mean, she is quick to send you away. And, and, but what's interesting, this wall doesn't go all the way to the ceiling. It's, it's, it's open at the top, so you can hear everything that's going on in there. And so you're sitting in this waiting room. You're getting to know each other because you're kind of building this communal experience of are we going to make it, are we, are we not? And people are there for different reasons. There's teenagers there, like my son, to get his driving test. There's people there, too, to renew their, their license. I'm like, go online, people. There is no reason to stand here for this. Go online and do it. But they're there. And so you start talking and getting to know them. And there was a, a, a girl who had a driving test right before Seth. 
And so we're sitting there, and, and so the, because there's only one person, she has to leave to go do the driving test. So she locks her door so we don't go pilfering around. And, and, and she leaves and does the driving test and comes back. And so she comes back, and she walks through the room and doesn't make eye contact with anybody. She just walks in. The girl's walking behind her, not making eye contact with anybody. The dad's walking behind her, not making eye contact with anybody. And we're all like, what happened? What happened? So they close the door, and the place gets quiet because we want to hear <laughs> what happened, right? If you've been in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the place gets quiet, and we start listening, and we hear she's borderline. Immediately, the dad starts making all these uh, excuses about how he's going to help her. Like, he wants his daughter to have a driver's license so he can be set free, right? <laughs> and, and he's fighting for it. And, and then it gets real quiet, and none of us can hear what's happening. And so they leave, and like, her head's down, his head's down, and like, they're not making eye contact with anybody. We still don't know, right? And then she goes, Seth Baker, you're next. <laughs> so Seth goes back there, and I'm with him, and so they're going over our forms. We almost didn't have the right form, but we did uh, in the bottom of the stack, so that was good. We made it through. And so then they leave to go do the driving test. And y'all, here's where the stress hit me because that's the first time in my life I've seen my son drive off with somebody else who wasn't me or his mother. And I knew that if he didn't pass the test, he wouldn't be the one judged. I would be because I heard her. She's gonna blame the parents right? So my stress wasn't about my son passing the driving test. It was about me passing her test, right? And this woman, keep in mind, kindness, meanness, you don't know what you're going to get. They pull back in the parking lot like after like four minutes, and I, I don't know if that's good or bad, you know? Seth Parks, they get out. I'm standing outside waiting, and so she walks by, doesn't make eye contact with me. I'm like, oh, I've seen this. And Seth walks by, he's like, he's like, I don't know. So I'm like, okay. So, so, so I walk in, I walk in, and, and we're standing there, and that woman's given us nothing. Like, we still don't know. And so we walk in, and we walk through the lobby, and, and, I, and people are looking at me, and I go, I don't know. And so, so we, she closes the door behind us, and we stand in there, and, and she starts thumbing through papers and stuff, and, I'll, and she goes, so when you get your driver's license, it, it'll be 10 to 15 days before you get it. If you don't get it in 15 days, call this number, blah, blah, blah. And so Seth goes, that means I passed? She goes, yeah, you passed. Okay, good, good, good. We, we now know. And so I got the pictures and all that stuff. And then we walk out in the lobby, and you know what everybody does? Because we look at him and we kind of go like this. They all went, yay! And they started <laughs> clapping. Like, like we had this cheering. And, and, and I share that to say this. Like sometimes when I talk about regret and I talk about gratitude and I talk about offering and stress, like you think about these big things in your life. Y'all, our spirituality isn't measured as much by the big things as by the continual small little things. And that stress of seeing Seth drive off knowing I'm gonna be judged because what I did is instead of being stressed about it, I kind of thought through this moment as I stand there in the parking lot watching him drive off and, and I'm freaking out thinking she's gonna judge me and I, and, and I was like, oh wait, God, I see what you're doing. I'm working on this message and that's what this is. So I was like, Jesus, then what I need you to do is I need you to take care of this. 
And if he passes his test, he passes his test. And whatever she says about me, I don't need this woman to like me. I need you to like me, and you already do. And I can rest in that. That's what this looks like, of regret to gratitude, of stress to offering. It's just going to God and letting him show you what to do or him sit with you as you wait. That's what this looks like. And as we go into this last song of worship, you're gonna hear a song and you're gonna sing a song that says, there's no place I'd rather be. That's our song. That's what this message is about. There's no place I'd rather be than in the presence of Jesus. So let's go into worship and whatever you're bringing with you today, take it to him and turn it into gratitude, turn it into an offering and let's turn it into worship.